welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Kendra Bloom. She's a licensed mental health counselor, PACT trained couples therapist, somatic psychotherapist, and certified intuitive energy healer. Through groups, workshops, and individuals or couple sessions, Kendra has supported hundreds of people with a process of radical transformation. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Kendra, welcome to the show. Um, I'm going to let Kendra introduce herself. I'm going to tell you, I'll give, I'll give you the real introduction. I've known Kendra for many, many years. She's a daughter of one of my brother-in-law's best friends, uh, Craig, and uh, she's from the Bay Area. And she's had a lot of training that she'll explain in a second, but Long story short, she moved to Seattle. She started her own private practice and she started with some resistance initially working through the back and control book, started to adopt it herself, made some big changes and then started bringing people into wellness that just blew me away that I never had any chance of getting reaching. And I sort of know why now that works and why she's able to do it, but she, um, I'm gonna call her a somatic psychotherapist is that correct Kendra okay that's the that's the starting point but what I'm really interested you have a a tremendous background and all sorts of women's issues and all sorts of other training like you mentioned that first but what I really want to tease out of this section is that you have a capacity to help people feel safe that a lot of people just don't have and this is sort of a very focused technique that has some principles behind it. And I'd like to teach out those principles. But anyway, um, what's some of your background as far as your training and stuff? Yeah, so I have a master's in sexuality studies and a master's in counseling with an emphasis in somatic psychology um, that, I, that I got from JFK. And then I did um, a couple years in psychophysical therapy with a man named Bill Bowen, who he's not with us anymore, but was an absolute gift. Um, he really integrated um, all the layers of being. So emotional, physical, psychological, um, spiritual, right? And he, he really created a map for healing. And then I did a couple years of training in core energetics, which is comes from Reich, kind of the grandfather of somatics. And that is really an emphasis on the characterological strategies that we develop to survive um, and working with those, those strategies um, to kind of unwind the survival system and access health, um, largely through clearing energy blocks, um, again, on all levels. Um, of existence. So those were my primary training. And then, of course, you, you were a big um, influence and um, learning that sort of neurobiology over the last um, five or six years, I think has been a huge um, shift and boon to the work that I that I was doing. And then I've done a lot of spiritual training in sort of the shamanic arts, um, which I know is a sort of questionable word now, but that's what they called themselves the women that I studied with. So um, that's what I'll call it. But it was just really thinking about the, the more subtle levels of being and and working with the energy in that way. So I'm curious, we have lots of training, lots of techniques, and obviously saw lots of successes there. And then I know we talked back and forth about three years and obviously you were doing well. And then something shifted over to doing more of the doctrine type principles, which by the way, are not 
these, this is, there's nothing new here. I mean, the doctrine is simply taking established practices that have been around for centuries and trying to present them in an organized manner. So I always feel a little uncomfortable trying to claim credit for this because it's the universe, right? So, but anyway, there's a structure came out that started to change the way you started to approach patients. So I'm just curious, again, I think this is important for people who sort of resist this whole process initially. When we first started talking, maybe I wasn't convincing enough. Maybe it wasn't clear enough. <laughs> maybe you just weren't. I mean, what, what, something shifted to the way you approached all of it because you had a tremendous amount of training and background, but your capacity to bring it into the clinical care the last five years has been stunning. So I'm just curious if you can think back to that time when we used to talk and you go, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I couldn't get you to read the book. And then you, you read the book. And then at some point you jumped in yourself and we'll talk about the Hoffman process in a second. But I'm just curious for those of you that are pretty resistant to the idea of this whole idea of healing yourself, what shifted in you? Yeah, I mean, I think to be totally honest, I hit rock bottom. Like I, I landed myself in adrenal fatigue and I could barely work and I couldn't really do anything else besides sleep and feel anxious um, at some point. And I think getting to that place at like 31 or 30 or whatever it was, was really confronting. And I think it really made me take stock of, of, where I was and feeling like, okay, I need to just be willing to try anything that comes into my field, right? Um, and you came in my field and you said at one of our dinners, like you need to read the book. And, and, I, and I remember distinctly this dinner, you, you said to me, are you okay right now? Like, what do you need? What would you need like to have things be any better in this moment, right? And the answer was nothing. And I actually felt some relief in my body. Like just sitting with you there, I felt more present. And I hadn't felt present in, I don't know, months, years, my whole life, who knows, right? Like, but I think that got my attention and I went, okay, like this has, this has my curiosity. And then when I started doing the book, the pressure to feel like anxiety wasn't something I could control with my mind. And it wasn't something that made me a bad or flawed person. Um, that was a game changer for me. And really just focusing on the, the stress hormone levels, like really seeing it as this very clear biological um, feedback loop really gave me a direction. And I needed, I needed that at the time. I needed something clear that I could focus on every day because I wasn't functioning well, you know? Um, and that helped. I started to see some relief, uh, you know? And then you had a lot of, you had a tremendous amount of anxiety at one point, right? I did. It was debilitating. I mean, I was in, and I, I actually refer to it as chronic pain because the anxiety was so bad that my, I was in physical pain from it every day. And, you know, it was all the time. It was, it was, it got to be all the time at some point. Well, we now know that anxiety is actually an inflammatory state, metabolic state, and that chronic pain is also an inflammatory metabolic state. So it turns out actually, and I didn't yeah. know this when I first started working with you, that is actually the same thing. Yes. You get an inflamed nervous system, the, the brain's inflamed, it's hypersensitive, then the sensation generated is what you and I call anxiety, which is actually a physiological state, not psychological. And then what I was excited about, because you had so much background in different fields and different techniques, that as you started to, and to me, sort of the principles behind the solution, not an exact fix-it type approach, as you, as you started to take these principles and embody them yourself and actually transmit to other people, you started the group sessions relatively quickly. Then my question is, I think of at least 10 patients that had gone through my website, the book, the doc journey type stuff, and they had done well, but they were stuck. 
And I realized that the doctor already provides a foundational set of knowledge. A lot of people, a lot of people do really well with just that process. A lot of people need extra help. So my concept has always been that the doctor already gives a nice foundational start to things. And then what happens, I'm also finding out, which is really disturbing, a lot of people are so traumatized. I used to say, well, they don't want to engage, don't want to get better. That's not true. They can't. They don't have any capacity to face the severe trauma of their past. We also now know that emotional pain and physical pain are processed the same way. So when you say you hurt my feelings, bad feelings actually hurt. So emotional pain is really, really intense. And I guess, again, you've had the technique for a while, and I know you had a lot of success before you met me, but we had a lecture by a psychiatrist, Dr. Alan Abbas, a few weeks ago. At this point, in a particular psychiatric referral practice of chronic pain, about 80% of people when you profile them psychologically are just fragile. They, they have very little capacity to actually learn and engage. If you're trying just to stay alive emotionally, how can you learn new concepts? So what I now know is about threat versus safety, that in threat, you're full of adrenaline, cortisone, inflammation, and the safety is rest and regeneration. So what Kendra, and I'm just really upset, Kendra, we don't work in the same town anymore. I can't even tell you what a resource she was. But I guess well, for about three years, we worked together. And uh, I still see Facebook you know, posts from people that we've worked with that are doing incredibly well. But for those of you that are in the abyss at a level that you can't imagine, these people were even lower than the abyss. And what did you do? What, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I've been a therapist for, for almost a decade. And, and what, I'm, what I've come to, to feel is that in some ways it's like, how can we give people the love they didn't get? Because that's really the most wounding thing that causes the system to end up in these inflammatory survival patterns, right? right. And if, if we can sort of learn about the missing experiences, then we can give it to them help and then really help them give it to themselves. And then the system comes out of a highly activated state. Um, so I think it's a combination of having that awareness of the developmental stages and, you know, sort of human experience, but also having a, a spiritual awareness of like how to hold that their journey is perfect and you're just going to come in and give them that missing piece and help them move through um, so that they can then be their own greatest healer and their own best parent and their own, you know, friend, which is the scariest thing for a nervous system is, is to sort of be able to. So why is it, why is it scary? Um, well, course, yeah, like I love this example. It's like if you see someone trip on a sidewalk, even if they're alone, like they'll reach for someone, right? Like they reach, they look around, like we'll reach for someone. And it's the, it's the most basic human instinct is to reach, reach, right? Okay. It's like one of the first things we learn besides looking around. And when we look around, we look for other people. That's what babies are looking for in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, I, it's this, it's the deepest um, resourcing factor is connection and contact, right? Our pain tolerance actually goes way up when there's, when we, when we feel connected to someone. Um, and so I think there's a way in which for many of us, our nervous system has been in an, in a sort of hypervigilant act activated state since we were so little because we didn't get the kind of connection that we needed right either too right. much too little kind of checked out right like um whatever it was and 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 that's really scary for an infant who's totally dependent on on that connection to survive so how do you 
breakthrough. Let's say I'm coming to you as a therapist for the first time. I have no insight into what's going on. I'm not even connected to my anger. I just know I hurt. I have anxiety. I don't like it. I want to get rid of it. And But I'm really angry. And we all know that when you're angry, the blood supply shifts from your thinking centers down to the survival centers. And you really have lost your mind to some degree because you can't think clearly when you're angry. So anger, in my mind, is the biggest block to healing. It's also the greatest once. It's also the tipping point, as you know, where people actually, once they hit the tipping point of actually processing their anger in a, in a consistent way, um, the healing is pretty profound. I mean, not only do people go back to normal lives, they actually thrive at a level they never knew was possible. But let's say somebody, and I'm going to say something just carefully, because I am really just reading about people's trauma triggers me. I mean, the degree of things that people, the, the domestic violence, the abuse, the things that people do to each other, in, in quote, in, in families that are supposed to love each other is just indescribable. And I went, and so I just, I probably heard 1,000 of them that you have had, but I think it's very disturbing the amount of abuse that goes on. It's horrible. Yeah. So I can't, let's say I can't, let's say my person came from extremely abused, physically, sexually violent background. Yeah. And I, I see you and you have no capacity to really engage in the book or anything like that. You're just trying to stay alive. How do you start? Yeah. So for me, it's really about getting um, the nervous system to feel safe enough to be here in the present moment because we can't really change anything that's not here, right? So if you're not here <laughs> and you can't, right, we can't change anything, but your body's always here. So if we can get into the body, even like right there, you took a breath. You guys can't see David, but his system just settled a little bit into what I said, right? And even then, you and I start to be a little more connected. Oh, Kendra, if you put me to sleep, I can't finish the interview. <laughs> that would be the best podcast. Probably all we need is a couple minutes of silence out there. But Well, but I snore. That's a problem. <laughs> okay, well, then no. <laughs> anyway, but, go ahead. Yeah, but, but you know, it's like... Um, it's really about creating relational safety and then helping helping people just start to feel safe enough to be curious about their own experience. And so there's lots of nice like neurobiological tools and practices and things that we do to resource the nervous system, but it's also about just continuing to be, bring awareness. Oh, wow, did you notice that you just left, right? I don't feel you anymore. You're gone, where'd you go? Right, like I, what did you feel? And just starting, I, I mean, I think you, you know, I'm sure your listeners know your phases, but the awareness phase, no matter what you're practicing has to come first. Um, so I think that helps build safety because people start to feel like they're actually in their body noticing what's happening and in the room with me, right? And then from there, as if we can be here, then we can start to say, okay, what do I want? right? What's uncomfortable? What needs to be processed? What needs to be integrated? Um, and we can start doing some of that more tactical work. But initially, it's really just, hi, can, can we come here and be together? Can you be in yourself? Right? Yeah. And then, I mean, do you start them with like some mindfulness, breathing, writing? What, is, what, are, some of the, what are some of the things that you do to get them started to calm down? Yeah. Well, for me, breath is always essential because it's this like reminder from the universe that we're loved at all times, right? It's like it keeps giving us, our heart keeps beating and we keep having access to oxygen. So for me, that's the most essential, but it's also the easiest thing to feel. 
right? Like we can all feel our breath and it's something really tangible that we have access to always. So I think, yeah, breath, mindfulness in the sense of like becoming an observer of our experience, right? I sort of pull on some of the like Buddhist tenets in that area and just like really starting to see to watch ourselves and watch the patterns and see what's happening. I don't use as much writing. Um, I know that's really big in the doc journey. It hasn't been huge in my practice, but um, like starting to name what feels true is a big one that I do, like actually speaking out loud and movement. So like moving with the impulses, tracking your body, like those are the initial skills that I teach people so that they can then do the work, the more complicated work of processing their trauma. Um, but just being able to see, like, can you feel your feet? Some people come in and they don't, can't feel anything below their eyes, <laughs> you right. know? Well, what, what yeah. you oh, like, um, you know, I'll say, did you notice your stomach got really tight when you said that? Like, what do you notice, you know, or it hunched forward and they're like, no, I don't feel that. Or, you know, they, I say, can you feel your feet? And it's like, no, I, I can't. Cause they've been out of their body for so long. Um, right. And so a huge part of the beginning work with super traumatized folks is is actually just like can you feel your hand on your shoulder can you feel your feet like where are your knees right um and actually starting to to build the neurological pathways that have been dead for a really long time um but kind of clearing that brush and going like okay where's my tummy where's my back right um and actually it re-embodying so by the way with the expressive writing um you can do it verbally I mean, if you verbally express your thoughts, that's just as effective as writing. Oh, cool. So you're just simply, you're, you're just taking your thoughts and creating space between your thoughts and who you are as a person. Okay. And so you can do it verbally, you can do it in front of the mirror, you can do it in third person verbally. Um, writing is one way of doing it. And I asked Jamie Pennebaker a few years ago, who was one of the original researchers on expressive writing, and we asked him why he thought it worked. He goes, I don't know. <laughs> so there's something to do with the need for mental control to separate you from your thoughts. So again, doing what you're talking about, about being verbal and allowing yourself to feel. But I'm going to make one statement. Um, and I want to mention the Hoffman process just for a second. So um, I did the Hoffman process in 2009. When did you do it, Kendra? Oh, God, that's a good question. I think it must have been, I'm so bad at math, but like five, five years ago. Five years ago. So... Yeah. Right. And, and Hoffman's not magic. It's not a great starting point, but it's a wonderful jumping off point because what you're doing, you're connecting emotions with feelings is the essence of the process. It's a seven day process and it looks at your family patterns and reactions and, and how you're reacting to the present and allows you to redirect a different direction. It's very visual, very somatic. And um, it, added, it added a third dimension to what I do. And I'm assuming it still comes into your practice in its own indirect way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I'm very grateful to Hoffman for was just the clarity that like 98% of our patterns are a, a rejection, a copy, or a distortion of our parents' pattern. Right. Um, and just like, if we just take that as true, okay, where do we go from there, right? And right. and. And, and also just the, the value of human community and connection, like I think to be really seen and held in my most messy, vulnerable, um, shameful places and, and really feel loved and really feel seen, I think despite all of their, or I guess in addition to all of their incredibly well-crafted um, tactics, just that was was a really healing experience for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Just, just I mean, the key word of a hopping was just awareness, awareness, awareness. Mm -hmm. You just said it again today that 
when you're anxious and you're frustrated, by definition, you're actually not in the present because something in the present triggered something from the past. And so by definition, if you're anxious or frustrated, something in the past is playing out right now. And so you can't just do mind over matter because the unconscious brain is so much more powerful than the conscious brain. But you've said it multiple times, connecting to the mind and the body, allowing yourself to feel. And what Hoffman pointed out that you have to allow yourself to feel bad in order to feel good. Yeah. You're increasing your emotional bandwidth. But I think that's one of the biggest blocks to healing. And I'd like to address this just for a second is that people don't want to feel bad. They rather just go to a meditation retreat and feel good. Yeah. So I think allowing yourself to feel, feel bad. I mean, Freud said this 150 years ago, that the essence of mental health is psychological flexibility, allowing yourself to feel unpleasant feelings and sensations and allowing yourself to feel. So that's, that's what I sense that you do really well. Just, you allow people to feel unpleasant, uncomfortable feelings, but they're still safe. Yeah, and I would actually go kind of like one step further to say that if we detach a little bit from the cognitive story, we can actually move beyond the duality of pleasant versus unpleasant because a good cry can be almost as pleasurable as an orgasm if you really allow yourself to surrender into it. And I think the reason that we are so guarded against certain emotions is actually because we haven't been taught how to have them. And that as a species, we're at an evolutionary crux in a way where like we can no longer compartmentalize. It's just physically not working for us anymore. Our nervous right. systems, right, are, are done with it. And but we haven't taught our children, here's how to get really mad and be safe. Here's how to grieve, right? And we sort of lost that um peace like a lot of older cultures have these beautiful rituals like where you go and sing and you pray together and you drum and you express and there's these places to go with your feelings but we don't we don't do that we don't have anywhere to go with it and so it becomes overwhelming and scary for the system and we don't want to do it because we don't know how right and our brain hates things we don't know how to do right Right. So, so, so I think in some ways, actually, what I, a lot of my work with people is saying, okay, if we drop the story for a moment, like, what does that actually feel like in your body? Oh, it's heavy. Oh, it's cold. Oh, it's tight. It's like, that can actually be neutral. Right. right. And, and then, then we sort of have room to play a little bit. Right. And we can say, okay, like, let's see what it's like to hold the grief together. Right. You don't have to do it alone right now. Right. That's what's so scary about it for most people is they had to have all their hard feelings alone. Right. Because no one could be with them and not really, not really be with them. Well, one of the problems we have in modern society, I mean, you just point out something really clearly that human civilization evolved by tribes, dancing, rituals, costumes, manhood rituals, all sorts of stuff. But it's all really based around community and social connection. And in the what the ultimate punishment back then was to if somebody was really sentenced to death, essentially, they just were isolated. And, and they wouldn't survive. I mean, both physically and mentally, they wouldn't survive. So in modern society, it's just such a bummer in a way that we have so many things at our disposal, but at the same time, we've become so disconnected from each other. And then you get disconnected from yourself and vice versa. Right, right. And nature. I mean, I think- nature, Right, in nature, right. right. Which was originally like the holder of us all, the container, right? It was where we had that essential trust and that essential right. connection that then we took into 
um, the container of community or the container of our own body or our family. But, but I think without that essential connection to what I call source, right, or just the energy moving through all things, which I think most of us get initially from nature, it's, it's hard to feel safe here and it's hard to feel trusting and connected. Right, right. So I just like to have, maybe have you tell one of the stories of somebody we worked with together who came to you just a complete in the hole really deeply and how that transpired. It just we have a bunch of them. Just just pick one. Just we don't have to use names, of course, but just um I mean I can think of <clears throat> the firefighter woman, another person who has a couple of kids now. Um, those are incredible stories. And I just had no expectation. I mean, I gave up. I mean, I tried for a while and they made some progress with the doctrine, but they took this huge roadblock. So I'd just like to finish this section with just a bit of a story of one of those experiences. Mm, yeah, you know, I will tell this story. I'll call her Mary. That's not her name, yes. but she does have a couple kids now. And I still see her uh, like once a month. And um, she came to me really locked up. She had had a lot of spinal surgeries. Her, her spine was fused um, or is fused. And um, she grew up in a home where her mom was really cruel and critical um, and dad was pretty absent. And so I think she developed a sense of self that was um, really stuck in like the, the victim place because she was so victimized, right? right. And didn't, didn't have a sense of her own power, of her own incredible, even though she had a PhD and is like a brilliant, gorgeous, uh, fabulous woman, like couldn't feel any of that. Um, and I think uh, so much of her healing and now she just had her third baby, which is amazing. And or, right. you know, it's like, must be two, two years old. So, um, yeah. So, but, but, you know, I think living from a place of um, curiosity and more empowerment and more agency. So things certainly still come up, but she's not in a dark hole anymore in that sense. I think she's, um, she encounters the world with a sense of like, oh, interesting, that came up for me, um, you know, now what, and has tools and resources she, she can draw on, but um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything specific you want, want me to speak to. Well, I mean, I think what's exciting about her story, particularly, because I mean, I tried really hard for months. She's very motivated, very whatever. She was totally stuck. And my sense was as she started to work with it, she started feeling really safe and allowing herself to feel. Yeah. And so it's exciting to watch her actually come alive, start to feel, start to function. Yeah. But she had the experience that I get from probably most of my patients is that when they break out of the hole and they start to thrive, they thrive at a level they never knew was possible because they never had it in their life ever. Mm, Self-love, yes. self-compassion, relaxation. And so they're not pummeled by anxiety anymore. They actually get to thrive at a level they never even knew was possible. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think there's also... Um, a way in which like she learned to have self-compassion, which then opened up her whole world. Um, and, and what I find with a lot of these really traumatized folks, some of the biggest work we're doing is just validating that their experience is true and real, right? Like, yes, you were hurt. The feelings you're having are okay and good. And, to, and, and that's still part of a lot of our work. She'll come to me, you know, anxious about something she's feeling. It's like, no, honey, that's a real good feeling to have, you know, like you deserve right. to be mad at your husband for that, or you deserve to feel grateful or scared about your boundaries or whatever it is. I'm kind of making up content, um, you know, for just to protect her but you know what i mean so right I think there's, no, there's it's, it's really remarkable so i guess what i learned from kendra is that 
I, I mean, I know there's people that don't respond to you specifically, but I am now convinced that anybody can heal. We don't know exactly the way in for a certain person. You may not even know the way in for yourself. And I'm always challenged by, you know, ways I can present things in a way that people can hear me. But I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. I don't have the um, techniques or the, well, I think I have the capacity to feel better than I used to. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm in training too. Come closer, closer together. Right. <laughs> so, but I'm not the kind of guy that's going to help you feel good about yourself. I'm a surgeon. So I'm trying. I think just being around somebody who believes that you can be whole and that you are whole and it's right. just about finding your way there, I think right. it's healing. I think it does feel good, right? Mm. And to me, that's what you, you know, that's one of the things you bring is, is that belief, is that deep trust, like everyone is capable of this. Right. We may not all get to the same place, right? right. Our may not all look the same. And to me, the healing journey is all of life because it is how we learn and grow, right? So we don't just arrive somewhere and then you know even and like Dave and I were just talking about this like my pain comes back I just spent three weeks in bed with a back injury right like mm. even though I feel that now I'm out of pain I still have to deal with the pain that comes up in my life yeah I mean I do have pain free is sort of a story I mean because life comes at at us all the time exactly. it's not a static thing exactly. so People get obsessed with becoming pain free, which is really a huge problem. That is I not think it's real luck. Yeah. Yeah, it's not not the same. Well, yeah. Kendra, thank you very, very much. So a couple of things. So Kendra, um, I'm not gonna try to oversell you. I think I, I've already done that. But anyway, I just I'm just been delighted to work with her. She taught me a whole new dimension of how people can heal and the possibilities. And she still is in practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico area, right? Mm -hmm. And so she is um, does online work mostly in group settings, some in personal work. So, can you want to tell us tell us how we can access your services? Yeah, the best way is either through my website. You can just Google Kendra K E N D R A Bloom B L O O M Therapy, um, and my website will come up, or Kendra Bloom.com, um, or you can send me an email Kendra Bloom Therapy at Gmail, and I'm happy to to chat with you and help you get connected. Yeah. So Kendra, thank you. And it's great to see you. And, yes, uh, well, thank you. It's always a good conversation. I kind of wish we could have noodle bowls while we're doing I, this. <laughs> it's a good second. I know. Yeah, okay. I'd like to thank our guest, Kendra Bloom, for being on the show today and for sharing her insights about the importance of awareness, connection, and validation in the healing process. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.